0: and welcome to the American Society for Parenteral and Enteral Nutrition, or ASPEN, podcast on blenderized tube feedings, also called BTF. This podcast will be based on the BTF practice recommendations from ASPEN, which were published in the Nutrition and Clinical Practice Journal in December of 2023. We will focus on select questions from section two, which were practice recommendations for prepared BTF recipes and BTF additives and consistency, and section three, which were practice recommendations for BTF in the hospital environment. My name is Peggy Gunter from Aspen, and today we are honored to have with us Dr. Gina Rempel. Dr. Rempel is a pediatrician in nutrition support and complex care at the Department of Pediatrics and Child Health at the Max Rady College of Medicine at the University of Manitoba, in Winnipeg, Manitoba, Canada. Dr. Rempel was also an author on the Aspen BTF practice recommendations cited here. This podcast is brought to you by Aspen and has been supported by Cardinal Health. Dr. Rempel, thanks again for being with us. To start off, can you give us some background on the types of children that you care for and their indications for EN, particularly BTF?
1: Thanks, Vicki. I see mainly kids with uh, complex medical problems, and many of them have multiple body systems that are impacted by their conditions. And many of those conditions center around gastrointestinal upset and repeated respiratory tract infections. And in some of these children, we see that when they switch to blenderized diets, there's improvement in their gastrointestinal symptoms, like their reflux and their constipation, in some of them, we even see a decrease in their hospital admissions for respiratory illness. And another group is just has a generalized improvement in their overall health and well-being. And because of that, we see decreased contacts with a healthcare system. Interestingly, we don't understand all the reasons why they get better when they use a blenderized tube feed. But this phenomenon has been shown in several papers now by, for example, by Bridget Harone from Boston Children's and by Kelsey Gallagher from SickKids in Toronto. And their references are in the BTF paper that Peggy alluded to. So in addition to the health benefits, I think a lot of families are wanting to use the blenderized tube feed for social and nurturing reasons. They want to use more whole foods. They want to be inclusive and have the whole family participating in the same mealtime experience. So that, that's one of the big factors that families mention to us besides the health reasons that they really want to do the blenderized diet for that reason. Another group of kids require really highly selective diets, and because blenderized diets are so customizable, many of the families are gravitating to them so that they can avoid the food allergies or sensitivities that their kids might have. Another way that the blenderized diets are often used in the kids I see, who sometimes have very low metabolic rates, and because of that, they don't need the calories that other kids might who are really physically active. And in these kids, we need nutrient-dense calorie Reduced formula. And the blenderized diets are so customizable that they sometimes allow us to do that and uh, give the kids a better nutritional profile overall.
0: Great. Thanks for that background. As an author of these Aspen recommendations on BTF, can you share with us which tools should be used to evaluate the consistency of BTF to ensure appropriateness for administration via enteral access devices?
1: Sure. One of my interests is in swallowing dysfunction. And in kids with swallowing dysfunction or eating and drinking difficulties who have medical complexity, we've long been looking for consistent terminology so that everyone knows what the consistencies of the foods that these children need to make their swallowing safer are. And this was provided to us by the International Dysphagia Diet Standardization Initiative. That's a big mouthful. We'll just call it ITSI, I-D-D-S-I. And that makes it possible for us to use a common terminology for texture-modified foods. And the beauty of it is that it can be used not only for dysphagia diets, but for blenderized tube feeds as well. And in the aspen practice recommendations on BTF, we suggest that the ITZY terminology and the testing to evaluate the blends should be used so that we do have a standardized way of describing and testing the blends because being able to name them and to have words for the different consistencies allows us to work with families and find the right fit for their child's needs. So for swallowing safety, as well as for enteral feeding tolerance, it can be enhanced by using different food and liquid consistencies, and the ITSI helps us to define those.
0: Great. Can you explain the ITSI testing to us?
1: Well, the beauty of the ITSI framework is that not only does it have this common language, but it has a way for us to test the different consistencies where zero is thin liquid, and seven is regular table food. And it provides us with simple methods that we can test the various blends that we're using for the children to see what is best for them. When we're doing the ITSI tests, we wanna confirm the flow and the textural characteristics of the food. And of course, when we're talking about blenderized diets, we're not that interested in texture. That may be more for the dysphagia diets, but for the blenderized diets, we want flow. We don't want so much texture because we don't want to block the enteral access devices. So when we're doing the ITSI testing, we put a small sample of food, at the temperature, we're going to be giving it in a syringe if we're looking at liquids, so those would be zero, one, 1, and 2. Or we put it on a fork or spoon for the thicker consistencies like moderately thick, uh, which is 3, or puree. Uh, usually, we don't go much thicker than that when we're talking about adaptations for a blenderized diet. The flow that we get through the different itsy syringes and utensils is impacted by how much the food has been blended and the particle size of the foods. So sometimes we need a strainer to be used on the blenderized foods before we put them in the ITSI utensils. But we shouldn't be using a strainer on a regular basis because we might lose some nutrients. So we don't want to block EADs, but we also want to ensure that we have the right consistency. On the ITSE website, we can find the different ways to test. There's detailed cards, reference cards, and detailed instructions how to do it. But I don't want to come across like every food needs to be blended and tested every time. Once parents have a well-established feeding regime, then they're probably going to eyeball what that food consistency is. But if the diet changes or the children's medical needs change or their fluid requirements change, we might have to go back to the ITSI testing to ensure that the blenderized tube feeding is still a good fit for all those conditions.
0: So what is the optimal consistency of BTF delivered by a syringe, gravity bag, or a pump?
1: Well, that's interesting, and and it's a very frequently asked question, but there's really no optimal consistency for a blenderized tube feed because they are so individualized because of the requirements of the people using them in terms of recipe and patient-specific factors. So we really don't know what the optimal delivery method syringe bag or pump is, but practically the blenderized meals are given by syringe, In most cases, if the blenderized tube feed is one or two on the ITZY scale, so that's still pretty thin, we could probably use a gravity bag for that as well and still get it in in the appropriate hang time. When the feeds are mildly thick, which some listeners might remember in the old terminology was called nectar, or even thicker like level three, which we used to call honey, they will not flow easily through a gravity bag the pump feeding can be difficult for some of the blends too even if the pumps are strong enough we might not be able to get the consistency in and the correct hang time and the pump can also read administration errors in the volume delivery so that can be affected by the consistency of the blend as well
0: okay can you share with us the types of patient specific factors that you see in practice that might influence the use of BTF
1: think as health professionals, we really have to be careful when we're making diet recommendations that might really be impossible for a family to fulfill. So before we start blenderized diets, I think we need a really good view of the whole picture of the child and family. We need to ask ourselves, are there psychosocial or socioeconomic factors that impact the family? For example, We don't want to recommend a blended diet for a family struggling with food insecurity when they get insurance coverage for a commercial product. Similarly, if a family doesn't have the tools like a high-speed blender or the time and skills that they need to prepare and store the food and they don't have time to attend nutrition clinic appointments to monitor the diets, well, a home blenderized diet just might not be the right choice. Also, what if the family member who is going to be administer the diet doesn't have the hand strength to use a syringe to properly administer it? So again, a whole picture needs to be gotten of the family and of the child. The medical condition, the treatment goals, the nutrition goals and requirements. And then also, what central access device do they have? Is the stoma mature? Can we give the blenderized diet at school Or is a commercial product more practical there? So there are a lot of considerations that need to come into play when we're talking about initiating a blenderized diet. So I think the easiest way to address this is to look at a shared decision-making model with parents so that we as health providers can understand their goals and their practical realities. And then we provide our input regarding risks and benefits and safety and optimized nutrition to see which kids can benefit from the blenderized diet and how we can make that safe and effective for the families.
0: Great. Now we're going to switch to hospitalized patients. Can you talk to us about the Aspen recommendations in which BTF delivery methods are feasible for hospitalized patients?
1: Well, I think Nowadays, for most nurses in a pediatric hospital, using a GT is just part of what they do on a regular basis, but they often won't have the time to give syringes full of blended tube feeding because of conflicting demands on their time. They may want to administer the blenderized diet by gravity or by pump feeding, but that can be difficult within the appropriate hang times. Or the blend flow characteristics may make that impossible. So there are these demands on the nursing time that may make it very difficult to give a blenderized diet safely. In many hospitals, like my own, we don't have a blenderized diet program for inpatients yet. We're working on it, but we don't have it yet. So for now, we rely on families to provide and to give their own blenderized diets to their kids. But when parents ask our bedside nurses where they can prepare the blenderized diets or where they can find the supplies to do so, the bedside nurses also draw a blank because it's not all that common in our hospital yet. But while there are some administrative challenges in giving the blends, the literature does suggest uh, BTF is a safe option in, in children who are in hospital, on the wards, having demonstrated tolerance. It's also safe for critically ill children in ICU settings as long as they're hemodynamically stable. And in fact, the blenderized diets may be a therapeutic intervention for these children. But right now, we don't understand yet what the best nutrition practices are for these kids and what these blends should contain. We even know that children who are immune compromised can use blenderized diets in hospital as long as there is careful attention to safe food practices and proper hang times as well as good education of the staff so we don't run into the problems that I described about the nurses not having the information to provide the blenderized diet safely. So, For now, we need additional information to make stronger recommendations about blenderized tube feeds in hospitalized populations. And I'm sure that we'll get this information over the next few years because there's really so much interest in this topic.
0: I know you alluded to this, but do you see any of pediatric patients in your hospital on these BTF formulas?
1: Yeah, we do. Some parents are providing their blenderized tube feed for their children while they're in patients. Generally, they're bringing us the frozen or refrigerated product for mealtime use, and we encourage them to administer it. It's hard to ask someone to administer something that they're not familiar with, like the nurses don't know where it's coming from. Uh, So we ask the parents to do it the way they would at home. Sometimes parents are also asking us to add a bit of commercial baby food or infant cereal to supplement what the hospital is providing in terms of commercial product. I know a lot of parents would really like the option of having hospital purees as a base for BTF, but as I said already, then we need some significant enhancement of hospital protocols to ensure that we have good food safety. Um, In the recommendations in the Aspen Blenderized Tube Feed article, there is a section that outlines the importance of hospital protocols to provide blenderized diets safely and how to administer them in hospitals. And at a minimum, if I'm going to choose a, a few things that are important, I think we need trained personnel in the kitchens where they're being prepared. We need appropriate equipment and good protocols as to how to sanitize the equipment that we use on the wards. We need nurses and dietitians knowledgeable about the diets. Uh, because parents shouldn't be the ones who train the, the staff on the wards. The parents might be expert in their children's blended diets, but they're not knowledgeable about food safety in hospitals. And then we need a really good multidisciplinary representation at a policy level in the hospital so that we can ensure the blenderized diets are nutritious and they're safely made and safely given. So for now, in the absence of protocols, for prepared blenderized feed made in a central kitchen. We often gravitate to commercially prepared blenderized diets for children in our hospital setting if they're using the blenderized diets at home. But we have an awful lot to learn and a lot of work to do on making the whole application safe and appropriate for children and their families. So I think it's safe to say that blenderized diets hold a lot of promise for children in general, and even in a variety of settings like home and in the community and in the hospital. And I'm really eager to see what we'll learn next in their application and how we can benefit children and their families using enteral nutrition at home.
0: Thanks to all for listening to this podcast. And thanks so much, Dr. Rempel, for sharing your thoughts with us, with our Aspen audience, and our appreciation goes out to Cardinal Health. For their support of this podcast. Have a good day.